You're listening to the Expert Insights Podcast, the home of leading cybersecurity conversations. Hello, and thanks for listening to the Expert Insights Podcast. This is Joel Witz, Content Director at Expert Insights. We are very excited to be coming to you live from the RSA conference in San Francisco, where I've recently spoken with Trey Gwynn, Field Technology Officer at Cloudflare. We covered the impact of cyber warfare in Ukraine, the evolution of DDoS attacks, and the pressure on security teams to do more with less. Here's Trey. Hi, my name is Trey Gwynn. I'm field CTO at Cloudflare. I've been at Cloudflare about 10 years now. I originally started the solution engineering organization. I report to our CTO and uh, interact with uh, key customers, partners, and government agencies around the world. So really fortunate to have interesting conversations and see uh, which way the industry is moving. Cloudflare has a global reach serving over 100 countries and millions of users. What are sort of the biggest cybersecurity challenges that you and the Cloudflare team are seeing at the moment? You know, I would say that the biggest challenges are that internet security challenges have become corporate security challenges. Um, as uh, everyone has moved to cloud and remote work and more using more and more SaaS, uh, it turns out that we've now the internet's eating the corporate network. So all the classic sort of internet security risks are now the corporate security risks. So we've seen that with. Um, business disruption from DDoS, you know, massive DDoSs that keep getting more and more sophisticated, but it's an easy way to ransom someone and try to get uh, essentially financial return as, a, as a, an attacker. Uh, and you can do that from outside the network without even having to break in. Um, beyond that, uh, data exfiltration is a major risk for a lot of organizations. And this is really down to zero days. Um, it turns out that uh, hackers move really, really quickly and uh, they're they're pretty in, uh, pretty innovative bunch, <laughs> um, and while you know standard IT team inside of a corporate network uh, might take days or weeks to get patches out, uh, we're seeing attackers now compromising zero days in under an hour, um, and so when your corporate network is exposed to the internet, you have to think about how fast the attackers are moving. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, beyond that, uh, we're also seeing just a real increase in the motivations of attackers. Uh, it's gone from, you know, purely uh, from um, sort of cyber gangs that were maybe just um, making a point or disrupting business to uh, being uh, financially motivated, and now we're seeing a ton of political motivation. Mm. So with organizations like Killnet and Anonymous Sedan uh, going after different organizations, uh, we've seen Killnet go. Uh, basically attacking uh, the critical infrastructure of countries that have been supporting Ukraine in, in the war, um, most recently with U.S. healthcare. Yeah. And then, of course, there's still a lot of phishing. Yes. <laughs> it's, uh, FBI says it's like the fastest growing uh, cyber attack, uh, cyber uh, sort of vector uh, for attack, and um, it's an immediate way that people sort of compromise networks and, and try to exfiltrate data and, and, and generate um, revenue for the attackers. How, how's the sort of economic downturn impacting security and IT management teams? How, how are teams having to do more with less? I mean, that is, that is the uh, sort of uh, sentence of the year, right, is do more with less. Mm. Um, it turns out that no one has a lot of free time on their hands. 
Um, and you know, if talking to sort of uh, IT leaders and security leaders that I've, I've spoken with, the challenge is, is that businesses are still trying to move forward. They're still going through digital transformation. They're still that's you know pushing these initiatives forward because that is the way to accomplish more revenue or to become more efficient. Um, so they're basically rolling out new applications and, and other sort of like digital ways to interact with customers and, and uh, other businesses, et cetera. But as they do that, they're now consuming all these new sort of cloud services, new SaaS services, et cetera. And if they try to secure those with their old patterns, and the old patterns being, you know, buy a firewall or deploy a in-device uh, client, then uh, complexity certainly starts shooting through the roof, right? Like you, um, you try to take these sort of old patterns and apply them to new architectures. Mm -hmm. And so we see um, this is becoming really, really challenging. So where before in, in better economic times where as complexity increased, you could just hire more people, mm -hmm. now we're seeing a big push towards rationalization and also vendor consolidation to say, if we have 25 vendors, how do we get that down to 10? Uh, and that also um, not only gives the business sort of more agility, but it really can help reduce costs over time. Um, because on the talent front, do I need to hire people that are talented at 20 different technologies or 10 different technologies? Yeah, absolutely. And so you know, where does Cloudflare fit into that vendor consolidation piece? Yeah, I think uh, we, we really see um, not only the operational requirements and the um, the sort of uh, the, the 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 cost benefits of of consolidation, but we also think that over time there's just sort of um, there's there's like a gravity forcing people to uh, consolidate when, it, especially when it comes to network services. Yeah. Uh, as you imagine, in this sort of future that we're living in, where your applications and data now live in 500 different data centers, you can't sort of control that at the extremities. You, you have to do that in the network. Mm -hmm. But if you have to do visibility and control in the network, uh, that control has to exist everywhere. And you, and you have lots of different kinds of control. You've got to do load balancing. You have to do WAFs. You have to do zero trust controls and identity checks and DLP, like just a whole myriad of things. And there was an old world where you could buy a bunch of boxes and stick them at the top of the rack, and you got no penalty for latency when traffic flowed through that. Uh, but now, your traffic's going all over the place, and you can't let your traffic bounce between like one cloud vendor to another cloud vendor to another cloud vendor. Like You need to get as much done as possible in, in sort of one platform or a gateway. Mm -hmm. um, and so we're seeing the, the drive towards vendor consolidation. Um, the, the folks that do best in that or that have the broadest platform and the sort of mo most holistic solution. Circling back a little bit, we kind of touched on the, um, you know, the, the, the Ukraine war and the impact that's having. At the outset of the war, Cloudflare announced it was offering free services to support Ukrainian infrastructure. So one year on, you know, can you talk a bit more about the impact of cyber warfare in, in, in Ukraine and, and the surrounding impacts of that? Yeah, I mean, so we are continuing to support Ukraine, and it's it's interesting that we're living through a time now where um, we're seeing the first time that kinetic warfare is being supported by cyber warfare uh, at the same time. Um, now, when we, we have 
blogged a bunch about what we saw originally with the different cyber attacks. Uh, and to be honest, it's been a lot of more of the same. Um, those, those attacks have continued. They're just continuing to sort of pound uh, Ukrainian critical infrastructure. And we are supporting that and keeping it online. Um, we can see from before the war to now, uh, it's a 1,200% increase in the actual attack volume uh, coming into Ukraine. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, well, it, it turned out that those attacks weren't uh, effective at bringing down critical infrastructure. Mm -hmm. So then they switched to uh, kinetic uh, warfare, and the, uh, we saw attacks against uh, electrical infrastructure and just taking down the electrical system. Mm -hmm. Uh, and with that, now instead of just seeing critical infrastructure taken down or, or specific services, the, the whole internet uh, is, was significantly impacted. Uh, an example for that uh, in Kharkiv, uh, we saw a 50% reduction in internet traffic. In Odessa, we saw a 60% reduction in internet traffic. So it's had a big impact, but we're amazed to see what the Ukrainian people have done. They're so resilient, sort of bringing things back online uh, and uh, the tech community coming together to sort of support them. Another aspect of attack uh, in Ukraine that's interesting is how, as Russia has taken over specific portions of the country, and I'm thinking of Kyrgyzstan, for example, um, as Russia rolled into Kyrgyzstan, one of the first things they do is they take over the local ISPs and start routing all the internet traffic in that region through Russian ISPs so that they can do uh, sort of tracking and management and see exactly what people are accessing and, 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 man and control what people are able to access over the internet. So it's interesting that as you see kinetic warfare and cyber warfare coming together, one of the first things um, an invading army wants to do is control information flow to the civilian populace, and we all know the internet is how you would get that. Yeah, Cloudflare, perhaps best known um, as a, a DDoS protection service. Um, so, you know, how, how are you seeing sort of DDoS attacks evolve? Are they becoming more severe? And you know, how have your solutions evolved over time to prevent new attack methodologies? Yes, yeah, so we, Cloudflare does a lot of DDoS. We're the folks that you know about um, and you, you think of uh, when there's a DDoS. Um, uh, you know, we get a lot of phone calls, unfortunately, at Friday at you know 10 p.m. on a holiday weekend, yeah. saying we're under DDoS attack. Can you please help us out? Yeah. Um, and uh, we're we're in a position to to see that. Um, I think. So, what are we seeing in the world of DDoS? Um, despite. Uh, a great deal of effort by the industry, uh, the DDoS attacks continue to become more sophisticated, they continue to be larger, uh, and uh, we've, we've gotten to the point now where it's completely infeasible to try to stop a DDoS attack with a box in a data center. Right? You can't do it with hardware, you have to use a service. And we're even getting to the point where we're beyond the capability of most sort of regional ISPs. Um, and so you think, so the first part is you have to have a, a huge amount of scale to be able to deal with, uh, to be able to deal with DDoS. But beyond uh, scale to deal with the attack traffic, you have to have to see a lot of good traffic as well. And so this is, this is really one of those like big data problems where if, you, if you're trying to sort the signal from the noise, you really want to have a lot of signal. And that makes you significantly more effective at pulling DDoS out. Um, Another thing we've seen, too, is not only just sort of size and scale, but in the tactics of DDoS uh, attackers, maybe a legacy way that people would have dealt with this before would be what's referred to as an always, oh, sorry, an on-demand solution. So you'd wait for an attack to happen, 
someone's pager would go off, there'd be an alert, you know, everything kind of crumbles and you go flip a, an emergency switch and try to bring your network back online in the event that this, this attack occurs. Um, the attackers realized that that's what uh, pattern that some businesses were taking. Um, and so now instead of launching one attack once in a while, they'll launch a small attack and then stop and then launch another small attack and then stop and launch another small attack and then stop. So the outcome of that is that organizations really have to switch from an on-demand to an always-on solution that can sort of real-time scrub out DDoS attacks because it's no longer some special incident. It is like business as usual. You should expect you know, these things to happen at some regular interval um, and... Uh, and they just something you have to be able to deal with on a on a on a daily and a weekly basis. I feel like one of the big uh, themes that we're going to hear about at this show is AI and uh, machine learning. Um, so I've got to ask, you know, what what do you see the future looking like in terms of artificial intelligence, and you know, how how do you see Cloudflare leveraging these technologies to improve its offerings? Yeah, I mean, AI is so exciting. I mean, we've all played with ChatGPT. It's uh, it's incredible to see what what's possible. Uh, we we think a lot about this in house. I mean, we've been running uh, AI models uh, for years actually uh, to disambiguate human users from automated users. Um, and it's incredibly effective. And what we found there is what wins are big data sets. Mm -hmm. So Cloudflare has a better part of 20% of the entire internet flowing through us. Uh, using that data set, we're able to um, really effectively sort of disambiguate, yeah, automated users from, from human users, but also even in automated users trying to in, sort of divine intent of those and figure out who's malicious and who's, uh, who isn't. Um, and so on one side we see, you know, whoever has the biggest data set is going to win uh, on, the, on the AI front. Uh, from the uh, attack side, uh, what we're also seeing is that AI is sort of superpowering the average developer. I, mean, I don't know if you've tried this, but I have. You know, like, hey, you go to ChatGPT and say, write me a program that does this yeah, thing. Yeah. Uh, and we've seen white hack hackers that have um, now successfully built command and control, novel malware. And so you're thinking, okay, just like in the world of uh, the average developers, there's a world of, you know, average hackers out there. And so we're expecting that we'll see a big sort of well, maybe not huge, but a, an improvement in their capabilities to generating sort of, you know, a, a completely different network signatures, building new toolkits, also super effective with phishing mm -hmm. uh, to rewrite, you know, phishing emails that are really uh, uh, sort of normal sounding and, and hard to spot. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I see, we see a big part of that uh, coming from, from AI. So my final question is a big one. Um, you know, looking ahead, what, what do you think are going to be the big challenges on the horizon over the next few years? And, and sort of how is Cloudflare positioning itself to help companies to, to solve them? I mean, that's the big question. Uh, I think the biggest challenge that I see, uh, and this is something that I'm, I'm very optimistic, but I think this is like a, almost a multi-decade shift, mm. is a fundamental shift in the architecture of computing. Uh, we're moving really from very centralized computing architectures to very distributed computing architectures. Um, anyone that's as old as me can remember 15 years ago going to work and being chained to a Windows laptop, you know, stuck in an office, and it talked to a server down the hall. Mm -hmm. um, and now we're in this future where 
your, your customer base is all over the globe, your employees are all remote and in different places, and, but now critically your data, which had been in your office, is now in 500 data centers uh, and 500 different SaaS providers. So it's just massively distributed. And the, we still, you know, particularly for security professionals, we still have to maintain control and visibility into where those users are, where that data is, how are they accessing it, um, and uh, it, it really requires a, just a completely different architectural model. Um, and I see that as like probably one of these like big trends that's not going to slow down. It's in a way, it's sort of the second generation of what happened with the cloud transformation. Mm-hmm. Like you know, for the last ten years plus, everyone's been shifting to cloud, and as they did that. That was great, and you got all these benefits of shifting from cloud, but now the network has sort of fallen apart, and we have to figure out how do you do networking in a completely new and novel way, mm-hmm. and, then you, and you really require this um, connective fabric that takes a bunch of controls and visibility that used to be at the extremities of the network and implements them in the fabric itself, because it has to be ubiquitous. It has to sort of deliver on the the promise of cloud. The promise of cloud was always that things would be ubiquitous and they'd be infinitely scalable mm-hmm. and as a consumer of them you wouldn't have to think about these things that, that the cloud would sort it out for you. And like networking is a thing that hasn't gotten there yet and networking has to get there where it's ubiquitous and, and infinitely scalable. Thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate it. Oh thank you so much as well. Thank you for listening to the Expert Insights podcast. For more, please subscribe or visit expertinsights.com to find interviews with experts and trusted reviews of top cloud solutions.